This evening, I am speaking with my colleague, uh, the Cecilia Yen Ku Professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions, Maurice Schweitzer. Uh, Professor Schweitzer's research is on emotions, on ethical decision-making, and on negotiations, and he's just published uh, a great new book called Friend and Foe, When to Cooperate, When to Compete, and How to Succeed at Both. We've been talking about how to prime yourself for power and how easy it is to do that. And you can read in this really practical book that draws on evidence, solid research evidence for how to figure out when to compete, when to cooperate, and how to do that. We've been talking about priming for power. I want to talk about uh, your insights, Maurice, about hierarchy uh, and what you've learned from your research and practice uh, about the, the risks and the benefits of hierarchy and, and then quickly get to how how people can challenge authority in a constructive way. Because uh-huh. that's something we hear about a lot on this show is people right. wonder, how do I create the conditions where I can negotiate for more flexibility, for example, at work? Right. So what's the story with hierarchy? Okay, so, so I'd start by saying um, throughout history, every human society is characterized by hierarchy. And it's not just true of humans, it's, it's true of animals as well. That is, we're hardwired for hierarchy. So even when we go out to, to dinner with our friends, there's hierarchy. In our families, there's a hierarchy. And at work, there's certainly a hierarchy. And, and some companies like Google start off with a holacracy, and Zappos has tried to move to holacracy. Mm-hmm. Often, that move to holacracy really fails because we're just pretending. That is, if we mm-hmm. say there's no hierarchy, what that means is that we're leaving it as an exercise for us to navigate that whoever speaks the loudest or takes the first crack at something is going to create a hierarchy, and we're going to end up with a hierarchy. It just is less explicit. So so the, so the first idea is that we're, we're hardwired to fall into a hierarchy, and hierarchy can be extremely functional. It allows us to coordinate our actions. Mm-hmm. It allows patterns of deference so we can accomplish things together. And some of the most hierarchical organizations are also some of the ones that have lasted the longest. So organizations like the Army, organizations like the Catholic Church, very hierarchical and very robust. Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, super hierarchical. Now, yeah, not permanent forever, but they're very strong and very impressive. And that hierarchy coordinates many people mm-hmm. in a way that allows them to accomplish things that are much, much bigger than what the individual could do. However, so, however, um, hierarchy is not perfect. Hierarchy sublimates the individual will and sort of ideas and goals for the larger collective. And what we lose in a hierarchy is the creativity, the contributions that could be very intellectual of people lower in the hierarchy. So, so the, the, the comparison I like to make is, um, you know, if we go to the army, it's incredibly hierarchical. And yet the army created one subset uh, of fighters that breaks down the hierarchy, that's less hierarchical. And those are our special forces. Now, those special forces, they have less hierarchy. Their junior people can challenge senior people. 
you, you mentioned psychological safety, gives them more space, more voice. We can tap the creativity ideas of those lower-ranked people, and it allows us to harness that creativity. Now, it does. It, it only works with a smaller group. Mm. It works with a higher, uh, sort of a more creative, more highly trained group, mm-hmm. where we want to tap all of that that intellect. So you can think about the nature of the task. Is the task more mechanical? Are we in manufacturing? Or is the task creative, like IDEA, we're trying to create new products? If it's creative, we need to tap the creativity of the disparately and highly trained people around us. And there we want to do things to break down that hierarchy Mm -hmm. so we can tap the knowledge of everybody else. And in order to do that, uh, in any kind of uh, organizational setting, uh, this this phenomenon of psychological safety has to be there. People have to feel safe enough to offer their ideas and to take the risk uh, and make the courageous act of saying what they think, especially if the idea seems a little off the wall, a little different, or if they themselves feel different. Perhaps it's a woman in an all-man environment or a person of color in an all-white environment. Uh, It gets harder and harder. So what can be done uh, based on what you've done in your own research and what you've written about here in Friend and Foe, what do you do to create that condition of psychological safety so that you can feel powerful enough to bring your ideas forward? Great. So let me just start by saying, uh, imagine there are three separate tasks we're trying to do. Okay. One task is we're trying to cre- you know, generate ideas. A second step is to criticize ideas, and a third step is to execute on those ideas. Okay. The execution step needs hierarchy. There, we need to snap into hierarchy. We, it's a more mechanical kind of task. Those first two steps, generating ideas and criticizing ideas, that's where we need psychological safety. That's where we need people with divergent opinions, maybe they have less status, maybe they're outsiders, maybe they're you know, somehow different from the rest of us. We need to create a place for those people to feel safe to challenge the, the other ideas. And, and we can do that in a couple of ways. Now with technology, we can do this with computer-mediated systems that mm-hmm. allow us to anonymously submit ideas. Mm-hmm. So we can all sit around the table, we all submit ideas, they pop up without attribution might on the be, screen. Might be the bosses, might be the secretaries. Exactly. And now, so here's the problem, is that when the boss speaks, everybody else now has two different objectives. One is to find the best solution, and the other is to manage impressions, advance their career, not upset mm-hmm. their boss. You know, it's life is better when our boss likes us. Mm-hmm. Or life is better when our boss thinks we're really brilliant. And we often think, well, our boss is going to think we're brilliant if we're championing their ideas. And so one way to stifle ideas is for the boss to come in and say, hey, here's what I think. What are your reactions? Hmm. And instead, uh, we can either do this computer-mediated idea or the boss could exit the meeting and say, look, why don't you generate some ideas and I'll step in in 20 minutes or half an hour or... I'm going to be at this meeting, but I'm not going to speak first. I want to hear everybody else first. 
uh, or the boss might even say, hey, I'm not sure what to do. There are a lot of different approaches we could take here. I'd love to hear what ideas the rest of the group has. Now, another idea is... So the key yeah. is, to, is to be really genuinely asking and inquiring and, and following up with inquiry on, you know, tell me what your view is. Why do you think this way? What's your rationale? Uh, uh, are, there, are there other things aside from removing herself from a conversation that a boss can do to ensure that her people are um, comfortable uh, enough to offer you know, unfiltered the critical uh, input or the creative input that, that the boss requires uh, for, for the best output. Yeah, so, so, so there are a couple of other ideas here. One is, uh, yeah, one idea is to create rules. So it could be rules like no interruption. Mm. Or in this idea generation stage, we're saying, look, for the next 45 minutes, we're going to generate ideas. And as we generate ideas, there's no criticism. So we have rules against criticism for 45 minutes. Then we go to the second stage. Then we can cr critique ideas. But um, So we can impose rules like that. Now, part of, part of the problem stems from the, the following idea. When we're in a position of power, we think differently, we act differently, but we don't realize how differently mm -hmm. that experience of power is. We don't, from, the per, from, the, from the subordinate's point of view. And we mm -hmm. don't take their perspective. Right. So, so when we're a really junior we don't person, understand their fear or right. their anxiety about exactly forward. Right. Exactly right. That is, when we're low power, we feel it intensely. We're constantly monitoring the environment. We're trying to figure out, hey, what does that person think? What does that person feel? We're we're constantly trying to take other people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. As we gain power, we kind of quit early. We don't invest that effort to take somebody else's perspective, in part because we don't have to. Mm -hmm. And here's the problem. When it comes to tapping other people's creative ideas, it's easy to to mis, mis assume that people are going to be, you know, candid and forthright and yeah, why should they be afraid of me? Right. I'm just I'm listening. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so and so we have to work so as bosses we have to work extra hard yeah. to realize how how our power comes across. And and this is why I suggested, yeah, sometimes leaving the room is going to yeah. be helpful because, you know, like it or not, we can be really intimidating to other people. Mm -hmm. So so that's one idea. The second is, uh, yeah, to really genuinely be, be very careful with criticism in that first stage. Really let people sort of run with the ideas. And, and you might, I mean, sometimes you can even do things like throw out a bad idea, say, oh, well, you know, here's a crazy mm -hmm. idea, but... You know, I'm sure you could do better ah. uh, to to you know create this psychological safety. People like okay, but make it easy easy to, for other people to, to, say, to, hey, to criticize. Look, yeah, like you know that is stupid, you know, boss. You know, let jump. me let me tell you what's wrong with that. Yeah, like like here's an idea. I don't think it's very good. Mm -hmm. You but you probably have something better. Let's hear it. That's good. Um, get people. So you want to create this safe space for people to feel like. I mean, you mentioned this before. You know, we often look at our leaders as if they've had some perfect, you know, career path. And if you look at their resume, it only has successes. It doesn't right. list, okay, here One are the jobs. One step up the ladder to the next. <laughs> right. You know, here's where I took us two steps back. Here's where I got fired. We don't put that on the resume. Mm -hmm. We we just have this carefully manicured picture. And it's it's helpful for people to realize, hey, you know, 
we have foibles. We're not perfect. We need your help. And that, that really needs to be conscious and deliberate because it's so easy to, to be ignorant of how you're coming across. Let me remind listeners, I am speaking with Maurice Schweitzer. He's a professor of operations, information, and decisions here at the Wharton School. We're talking about his great new book with Adam Galinsky. It's called Friend and Foe. When to cooperate, when to compete, and how to succeed at both. We are just touching the surface of this really rich book, which is filled with uh, about a dozen chapters, each on a different topic that uh, is just filled with research-based uh, evidence for how you can then use these tools to uh, figure out how to navigate the very complex world that we live in of social relationships so that you can be more effective at uh, both cooperating when you need to, competing when you need to, because we're doing both all the time. Uh, so this notion of creating psychological safety is something that um, people in power have to really be mindful of if they want people to, around them to feel comfortable challenging them. What advice do you have for parents who uh, are in that position of the authority and you want to try to cultivate in your children a sense of uh, safety that they can both feel confident in themselves and also enrich the family. Right. So, uh, so the ideas are similar, and I think as parents, we often fail to appreciate how powerful we really are and how our kids, you know, not only do they sort of you know, love us in a familial way, but they're also incredibly reliant on us. And, and so it can be scary to mm -hmm. disagree with, contradict, and sort of, uh, you know, sort of feel like we're going against a parent. Even for rebellious kids, it sometimes can be scary. Here's the idea. Um, first, to, to think about criticism. When we criticize our kids, that criticism, there's an amplification effect that is the criticism can sound very harsh in a way that we don't intend it to. Mm -hmm. So, so I, the way I think about criticism, it should be should be scarce. That is when mm. you know s criticize when it's really important when things really might go sort of off the rails. Uh, second, to criticize only one on one. That is when we criticize in front of other people. You know, I mean, I think the worst is, you know, for, for teenagers, you criticize them in front of their peers. Uh, there's, there are a few things worse than that. Uh, and, and third, to think about ways to give them more agency, give them more control. Sort of like the ideas I was talking about before. Sometimes I say, hey, look, uh, here's a problem. I'm not sure what to do with this. You have some experience with, you know, certainly this technology or something else. You know, maybe you can help me try to figure this out. Or, you know, here's a family vacation. There are a bunch of different things we could do. I'd love to hear your ideas. And again, in that idea generation stage, mm -hmm. there's no criticism. Say, look, you know, why don't we all sit around and come up with ideas? Let's hear, let's, let's hear your thoughts. And so we, we, can, we can take these steps, and I think the psychological safety is really important because there's a mm -hmm. creativity that we want to nourish, there's self-confidence that we want to build, and we can do that by, by giving our kids space. And as parents, we feel like, oh, we should be parenting, but sometimes stepping back is actually the best way to help them go forward. Just as it is for, uh, for bosses at work. Right. Uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about on the show is how to create flexibility 
in your life, particularly at work, so that you have room uh, both psychologically and physically for the other things in life that matter to you. Uh, do you have any thoughts about how to encourage that kind of conversation and create the, the psychological safety that's required for subordinates to uh, feel empowered to, uh, to negotiate for uh, conditions of work that enable them to lead the lives they truly want? Well, I think I would start by, by asking this question. What's most important? Mm-hmm. So what is it that we're trying to accomplish? So as a boss, what's the most important objective for us? And as an employee, what's the most important objective? And I think there's a lot of intersection, but I think the traditional answers, you know, like, oh, I need you here nine to five, or I need you at your desk whenever I need you, that those traditional answers miss the bigger picture. That is, if we figure out, you know, what is it we're really, you know, what's our key objective really? Mm -hmm. um, and, and there, I think we begin to look for that intersection where the underlying objectives could be something that allows us to think differently about the work, mm -hmm. think differently about the process that we, uh, that we go about achieving those goals. So if you're an employee and you're looking to create flexibility in your schedule, uh, what, what's a way to approach your boss uh, to get at you know, what are the critical objectives that we're both trying to do and, here's, here's, and, and how can we create uh, a shift in, our, in, in my schedule or my availability that enables me to provide the value that you expect of me and live my life? Yeah, so, so here I, I'd offer two ideas. One is to take the perspective of your boss. So what makes your boss look good? What, what helps your boss get the work done? Mm -hmm. So what is it that they're trying to do? And then second, think about, okay, how could I help my boss achieve those goals? And it could be that, hey, what they need to do is you know, staff you know, this, this one project, mm -hmm. or they need to develop this, this report. And if you say, okay, I could, I could pull over, you know, my colleague, you know, Sue from this other section, or I could access this other resource, or if I could figure out a way for, for me to address those needs more completely, I might approach my boss and say, okay, you know, help me understand, you know, what's the goal here? Mm -hmm. I, my thinking is we need to get this report done and we need it to be, you know, of this quality and have these components. Uh, you know, that's my understanding. You know, what am I missing? Mm -hmm. So make sure you really understand the full picture of what needs to happen and then begin to offer an approach. Say, look, here's an idea for achieving that goal. Here's why this would really meet these requirements and it, you know, maybe even exceed what you're looking for. And here's what would help me feel enthusiastic, motivated, uh, and excited about this work. Mm -hmm. uh, here's something that's important to me, and I think I can balance these things in this way. Um, you know, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about mm -hmm. a way for us to make this work. So, so those are the sort of the two key ideas I'd 
I'd suggest starting with uh, the the what's critical for the other, right, uh, right, and and what your shared objective is. We we just have a few minutes left here. Unfortunately, I feel like we've just gotten started here, Maurice. But um, uh, I'd love you to talk in, in the last couple of minutes here about what you see as the main purpose of this work uh, that you've put together in Friend and Foe, and what you're trying to achieve with it, and what what our listeners ought to know about its essence. So so, at its core, this idea that we're we're navigating this balance. We're friends and foes. So, you know, with our with our spouses, with our siblings, with our kids, we're incredibly good friends, but our interests are not perfectly aligned all the time. Mm-hmm. We have different opinions. We have different goals, and we need to navigate our relationships as friends and foes. And things like this perspective-taking idea that we were just talking about Perspective-taking, we, we, we talk about this in, in one of the key chapters in the book. I think perspective-taking is an incredibly important tool. It helps us understand others better. Also, as we talked about before, as we gain power, we take other people's perspectives less well. And there are many things that make us better and worse at taking perspective. And it's important to think through how we can understand our relationships as friends and foes better and how we can navigate those relationships to make sure, I mean, the goal isn't to be very effective foes all the time. Mm-hmm. It's to be friends and foes in a way that allows us both to get more of what we really want. That's a fitting note for us to, to close on. Thank you for listening. That was a Thinkers 50 podcast. Thinkers 50 podcasts are produced by KDH Creative.